Hello, and welcome to the 11th episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. You feeling independent? Um, Since it's going to be Independence Day? <laughs> not really. I'm married and have two kids. I'm not <laughs> That's true. We're not, in- <laughs> not interdependent. interdependent. That's it. <laughs> I'm way too dependent, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't have much business no. to talk about. No, people don't like business. No. They want us to get straight to the point yeah. and get to the funny stuff. And Who wants to hear about the crap going on in our life? No. Yeah, not much. Let's hear about the crap going on in other people's lives. There you go. Then we can talk about it and make fun of it and move on. All right. All right, let's go. Hit it. Daniel, you got some factoids? I got a factoid. Hit me, baby. All right. Wow. That could lead to I'm feeling a little Britney Spears. (laughs) Hit me, baby, one more time. Oh, poor Britney. spousal abuse. Have you heard about all the stuff going on with Britney? No, but I'll I'll tell you later. I don't care. (laughs) So... Did you know that a little over half of people don't consummate their marriage on their wedding night? I figured. I figured that happened. Or it didn't happen. It didn't happen. (laughs) I guess most of it's because it makes sense. People are exhausted and they're drunk. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't make for very good adult aerobics. Or they're feeling really pressured to perform. I know, with all those people watching. (laughs) Like they used to. Back in the day. Back in the medieval times sharon could you imagine we have each side of the family cheering us on oh god that makes me that makes me want to vomit i get a little bit of bile you can do it daniel (laughs) keep it up literally (laughs) oh my gosh okay a third wait and do it in the morning okay give or take Mm -hmm. i wonder what that age group is though because if you're over like 35 you probably most of the time wait to do it in the morning. Probably. Okay. No, I go. mean, that's better. You want to wait till you have morning breath or coffee breath. Oh, I hope they brush their teeth. Hi. <laughs> Look what you married. Are you feeling frisky? <laughs> Not now. 10% wait about two days. Why? I guess they're still too busy or too tired. That That means you drank way too much. Two days? Unless you're like... Hung over and then catching a flight to go on your honeymoon. Probably. It's only one out of 10. Yeah, about another 15% say that they're disappointed <laughs> in the uh, in the whole act. But are these people that have never done it before? I don't know. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe. These are all heterosexual couples. Oh, well, that's boring. So that they're heterosexual. <laughs> um... Two percent don't do it even in the first week. What? Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's no rush. Mm-hmm. Get the rest of your life to be miserable. One um, percent <laughs> never do it at all. <laughs> Which I'm assuming those end up in a short marriage or death. Yeah, or death. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of an annulment due to the inability to consummate? No, I've never heard of that. So it, there can be grounds for an annulment if one or the other basically can't perform or doesn't want to perform 
Wow. And then the other one that is left hanging, so to speak, <laughs> um, can file for an annulment saying, hey, he didn't, uh, he couldn't, he, he never did it. Why do you just assume it's the guy? Oh, I don't know. It could be the girl. Yeah. She's she could have like, some hang I'm not ready yet. Yeah. Did you know many states require by law consummation of marriage for the vows to be valid? Oh, okay. I'm guessing that's. They've kind of let that slide a bit. Yeah, how would they more know? Recent, I don't know. Yeah. I guess because one could say the other one, you know, you could right. use that. And then right. they could say, well, if they didn't do it, then it's not how, legal. How embarrassing. I would think. That's a little embarrassing. Yeah, but what if... Like, we got divorced because we couldn't perform sexually. What if you were all excited and then on our wedding night, it couldn't happen? <laughs> and then it couldn't happen after that either. Are we talking personally or you're saying? Yeah, or whoever. And then you'd be like, well, what the heck? You know, how are we going to? This right. isn't going to be much fun. Right. So we're saying what we're saying we say to our children that we waited until we were married? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that this this is, you know, people say, oh, back the back in the days, good old days, 17th century, I think it was Spain and France. They would have to prove their inability to consummate in front of a jury. Oh, that's disgusting. This is making me highly See, uncomfortable. And then there's that. D okay. That's awful. So think about being a judge or a jury member person. And it was probably all men. I don't know. That's that's it makes it even so worse. So they're like, okay, I you know, I wanna get I wanna this guy's not holding up to his end of the bargain and they go okay well you guys just have to prove it in front of us Ugh. and if he can't perform then then yeah then then the marriage can be dissolved Ugh, i'm i'm embarrassed just mm -hmm. thinking about that they said that they would most of the time do it in front of like almost like a thin paper little partition so you could see them but you couldn't really see them oh my god no pressure Oh, my armpits are sweating just thinking of that. It's awful. These poor people. Imagine how you'd feel behind that piece of paper. What, watching something? With all these people around us? No, no, I don't. I'm telling you, that's making me sweat. <laughs> it's giving me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Might be the huge cup of coffee I just drank, but. Could be. Yeah. So well, anyway. Well, that was highly uncomfortable, yeah, but well, that was very informative. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure people are so much better off with that useless bit of information. I know I am. Or a bit of useless information. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Oh, darling. you're welcome. It's funny that you bring up that that was your factoid for this case. Why? Because it kind of has to do with my case. Uh-oh. Yeah, this is really weird that did, that we did that again. Are they having sex in front of a jury? No, but oh, you know what we forgot to do? What? We forgot to shout out to one of our 11 listeners. Oh, good. All yes. Right. I'm sorry. We're going to we're going to backtrack a little bit. All right. We have to say a big thank you to Christina from Chico, California. Hey, Christina. Thank you so much, Christina, for your rate and review and for your Really nice words of encouragement, and we really appreciate you listening all the way up in Chico, California. Thank you very much. 
Thank- we appreciate you. Thank you, Christina. Okay, now back to the case. All right, good. Okay, this is the case of Cody Johnson and Jordan Graham. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, wait, I always am, look am at I you supposed like, to pretend that I know who they are? No, not at all. That's okay, the whole yeah, point no of idea. this, this right. crazy little podcast. All right. On July 12th, 2013, members of the Kalispell Police Department, Flathead County Sheriff's Office, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation hiked down into, into a ravine in Glacier National Park. Located in the Rocky Mountains of northwestern Montana along the Canadian border. This is an area that they speculate has never been walked through by people. Carrying heavy packs filled with crime scene investigation tools, they slowly scaled down a 200-foot cliff and made their way around the last steep bend. Finally making it to the body that had been spotted below the day before. A blue shoe was found on a rock outcropping, and its match was still on the foot of the body. Without disturbing the area, they searched for any sort of identification. They found a wallet with a driver's license that read Cody Lee Johnson and a piece of black material in the creek. Cody was a 25-year-old newlywed from Kalispell, Montana, the man that friends and family had been desperately searching for in the last few days. Everyone was still in shock that it had been Cody's wife of only eight days, 21-year-old Jordan Graham, that had spotted Cody's body 200 feet below. She said she knew he was there because it was a place he wanted to see before he died. Cody's loved ones watched as his body was lifted out of the ravine by helicopter in a yellow body bag. Never one to show much emotion, Cody's new wife stared off into the distance probably planning her next big event, Cody's funeral. What? <laughs> Do you get you get the picture? Kind of. Get it? Cody Lee Johnson was born on August 8th, 1988 in San Jose, California. Cody was an only child, and his single mom really wanted Cody to grow up in a small town with small town values. In 2002, when Cody was 12, his mom moved them to Kalispell, Montana. Kalispell is a small town located 50 miles from Glacier National Park. Cody thrived in their new hometown. He loved to be outdoors, shooting guns, riding dirt bikes, kayaking, and hiking the many trails of the national park. Cody was a very friendly guy. He is always described as selfless and funny, making friends wherever he went, especially in the car world. Nice. Cody was a car guy, kind of like Daniel. Sounds like he's got the best life ever. Yeah. Not only working on his cars, but friends' cars as well. He even started a custom commercial car builder business on the side. Wow. But his real passion was racing and working on race cars. Cody also worked with family members and friends at Nomad Global Communication Services. As Cody became more accustomed to adult life, he started telling people that he was ready to settle down and start a family, saying multiple times that he wanted a nice church girl. Who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. Jordan Lynn Graham was born in August of 1991 in Kalispell, Montana. She was raised by her mother and stepdad. 
She had a brother named Michael who was six years younger than her, and they were really close. Jorn was raised in a strict Christian household where there were lots of rules and life revolved around their church, Faith Baptist. Of course. Jordan grew up working in the church nursery and babysitting for other church families. She loved children and always seemed more comfortable around kids. Jordan was super shy and very much an introvert, but some people say she was silly when you got to know her. As part of her faith, she was not allowed to date until she was 18. Her goal in life was to be a stay-at-home mom and devote her life to God, her husband, and their children. Nice. Perfect girl. You think, right? Well. Not really. On October 31st, 2011, Cody and Jordan met at a Halloween party. Cody was smitten immediately, but Jordan was hesitant and just wanted to be friends. She liked Cody, but he was definitely more into her than she was into him. Jordan told him that she really wanted a guy who was very involved in church. So Cody began attending her church regularly. Friends and family thought that was great since Cody had never been very religious. Jordan took that as a sign and they began officially dating in November of 2011. After only dating for a couple weeks, Cody told his mom that he wanted to marry Jordan. Cody began saving money to not only buy Jordan an engagement ring, but wanted to buy them a house as well. Wow. That was quick. Cool, like falling in love quick? Yeah. He's after just a couple of weeks? Like he wanted to marry her after a couple of weeks? That yeah. was quick? Yeah. You wanted to marry me like on our second date. No way. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I can't believe you didn't want to marry me right away. <laughs> well, you know what? I didn't want to marry you right away either. I, I would hope not. <laughs> Friends were very skeptical of the relationship. They were happy to see Jordan come out of her shell and knew that Cody was getting her to socialize more regularly. But they could also tell that Cody was all in. But Jordan seemed very reluctant and uncomfortable never holding hands or even giving each other a little kiss in public. Oh, boy. They even, um, like, anytime they went out on a date or anything, they always had, like, friends with them. They brought their buffers yeah. for, the, for the outing? Yeah, or her brother would go with them. Yeah, and how old were they at that point? Uh, what did I say? She was 21 and he was 24. Oh, so it's not like they were 14. No. No, they were old enough to go out by themselves, for Con sure. Old enough to consummate? Stop. So, okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Ready? Yeah. Jordan wanted a relationship of celibacy. What? According to Wikipedia, celibacy is the state of voluntarily becoming or being unmarried, sexually abstinent, or both usually for religious reasons. It is often in association with the role of a religious official or devotee. If only Cody had Googled that word. Yeah, that doesn't sound like much fun. Nope. In December of 2012, and a little over a year of dating, Cody asked Jordan to marry him. Ooh. She said yes. 
even posting on Instagram a photo of her left hand with her perfectly manicured fingernails and a diamond ring sitting perfectly on her ring finger. The caption read, He proposed! Best early Christmas present ever. Smiley face emoji. Oh my God. They set a date for the summer and started planning. Jordan loved being a bride. Loved being a bride. (laughs) Cody, run away right now. Run. She loved planning, loved the dress fittings, loved the cake tasting, loved everything about planning her big day. But when her bridesmaids would ask her about plans after the wedding, she would get really upset, not wanting to talk about what came after they said, I do, especially not about the wedding night. Okay, so how... All right, go ahead. I won't, I'll stop interrupting you. <laughs> I wanted to say a little story after this particular paragraph. After we got married, we went on a cruise for our honeymoon. Shocker. And they put us at a table with all the other newlyweds on the cruise ship. Do you remember this? Yes. And it was the most uncomfortable conversations because I was stuck with women who were crying over the fact that their wedding was over and that they were not the center of attention anymore. We eloped and then we had a big wedding, but we had a big wedding for our family, not for us. Yep. So to hang around with these women who were literally crying about not being the center of attention, that was so eye-opening to me about how ridiculous weddings are. What percentage of those couples that were there you think are still married? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to guess 50? all the ones that are that were complaining are not. Yeah. They just... It was weird. It was a really weird, weird situation. I don't think... I think we got our own table like after a couple nights because I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't talk about their freaking weddings anymore. No. No. I okay. still wouldn't. If we sat down next to a newlywed, I'd be like, oh, gosh. Or I would just try and make them as uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. Which, actually, that would be fun. We're really good at making people uncomfortable. So, yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. On June 29th, 2013, 25-year-old Cody and 21-year-old Jordan were married outdoors in front of their family, church family, friends, and God. Jordan was in a great mood all morning, getting ready with her bridesmaids and posing for all the obligatory wedding photos. <laughs> that no one ever is going to look <laughs> that at. That no one cares about. Nobody cares. But as the wedding was due to start, she began to weep. She weeped, like literally weeped, all the way down the aisle. Guess thought that was really strange. Yeah. Well. Yeah, a little. While saying their vows, Cody was trying to look in Jordan's eyes, but she kept turning away or looking down. Oh, my God. Okay, if we were at a wedding, I hate going to weddings, FYI. But if we were at a wedding where the, where the bride weeped, and when I say weep, I'm, I'm trying to make it as dramatic as possible because I want people to envision tears running down the face, shoulders like quivering. Oh, my God. Like she was... Yeah, it was crazy. And then she wouldn't look at him at all. I would take that as not a good sign. Like, 
I know I wouldn't stand up, but I'd be praying somebody else was going to stand up and be like, eh, obviously the bride's having second thoughts. Maybe they need to take a moment. Right. All the signs. There were a lot of signs. Oh, yeah. Here's, okay. here's your sign. Here's your many signs. <laughs> Jordan regained her composure after the ceremony and seemed to have a great time at the reception, even showing some emotion during their first dance as a married couple. They had hired a songwriter to write a song based on their love story. Of for course their first they did. Because <laughs> why wouldn't you do that? Right. As the wedding festivities were dying down, Cody asked a friend if she would go put flowers all around their hotel room. Kind of spruce up the joint. They had decided not to go on a honeymoon. Opti- no. Yeah. Why, why be happy? Why, why have fun? start off miserable. Right. Opting instead to spend their wedding night at a hotel in Big Fork and the rest of Cody's week off at their brand new house, unpacking boxes, decorating, doing some maintenance. And I'm assuming he thought they were going to be christening every room. Yeah. That's what you do when you buy a house. Sure. The wedding night didn't go as Cody had expected. Oh. Jordan texted her maid of honor the next day, June 30th. This was her text. Totally just had a meltdown. I'm completely second-guessing everything. I don't know if all of this was the right thing to do. So much happened last night, I just don't know. Oh my God, I hate her already. Her friend replied back, about what? Are you okay? Jordan then replied that she was having second thoughts about marrying Cody and especially concerned about being intimate. See? I know, I know. Okay, so seriously, we did not plan that I would do this factoid, but... I know, when you were reading it, I was This is like, going to be exactly the reason for... Oh, no, yeah. Like, go ahead. She texted her friend again the next day on July 1st. This is her. I cannot freaking pull myself together. I haven't stopped crying since I was married. I wish someone had stood up and asked me what I wanted, but I can't go back and change anything. I should be happy, and I'm just not. I don't feel like myself. She sounds like a selfish bitch. (laughs) Her friend chalked it up to post-wedding blues. What? I have never heard of that ever before. But you know what? It makes sense, especially with those chicks that were on our honeymoon cruise. Yeah, that's true. She then urged Jordan to talk to Cody about what she was feeling. Jordan said she didn't want to hurt his feelings because he seemed so happy and that the I'm on my period excuse was not going to last much longer. Oh, my God. (sighs) Are you serious? Yes. Unfortunately, I'm serious. She claimed that on their right right out of the gate. I'm assuming so. I'm assuming the next day she was like, oh, I'm on my period. Oh, he should have run away immediately. (sighs) I know. That's no excuse. She also texted her friend that he was going to want to do things sexually that she wasn't ready to do, and that Jordan felt like it was her job to make him happy, but that she was miserable. Another friend stated that the thought of having sex with Cody made Jordan physically ill, and she would fly into a panic. Jordan also said that it made Cody frustrated. Obviously, Yeah. Jordan believed Cody was going to want her to do all sorts of kinky things in the bedroom and that she was terrified. So in reading that, what I was thinking was, 
maybe they had had a conversation on the wedding night. Like he was like, oh, baby, I want to do this with you. I want to do that with you. Like he had all these fantasies and maybe even something. But she had none, like zero. Because that's what it sounds like is, yeah. is anything at all is is kinky is and, bad yeah. for her. Yeah. But I'm just picturing him just thinking like we're married. Like let's right. have fun together. Let's try new things. Let's. Right. And her being anything that was different than like missionary but style. But even then she freaked her she out. She sound like she's just miserable. Doesn't even. I don't know. Maybe she's a lesbian. I don't know. Maybe. Or she's just not. She's, do- she's not being honest with herself. What, what's that called when you have no sex drive at all? Asexual. Yeah. When you're not attracted to either sex. Yeah. I don't know. She wants maybe. to be a nun, I guess. He she, married a nun. She should have. I I don't know. Oh, well. I don't know her personally, but well, you know, no. from reading a million articles, that's what I got out of it. On Sunday, July seventh, a week after the wedding, Cody and Jordan attended morning church service. Cody was supposed to go golfing with some buddies afterwards, but instead he canceled his plans, telling his friend that Jordan had a surprise for him. I'm pretty positive that Cody thought the surprise was that they were finally going to consummate their marriage. So at this point, I'm assuming they haven't, right? That's what no. that's what we're right. alluding to. And I think she's probably been using the I'm on my period excuse, and this is day seven. So, I mean, wow. Any guy knows that what, a cycle what did I say? Um, 2% don't consummate in the first week. Yeah, that was 2%. And then 1%, not at all. Yeah. So there you go. Mm. They're part of the 2%. Ugh. Jordan's maid of honor was receiving more texts from Jordan all day. Jordan was still depressed and said there were more issues in her new marriage. Jordan's friend encouraged her to talk to Cody and maybe even set up a meeting with their pastor. Jordan answered, oh, well, I'm going to talk to him tonight. Her friend said, I'll pray for you. Jordan answered, but dead serious. If you don't hear from me, something bad happened. What? Yeah. All right. That night at evening church service, the same friend asked what the surprise was. And Cody said, it hasn't happened yet. They went to Dairy Queen with some friends for dinner. Oh, that's exciting. They left to go home around 8.30. The next day, July 8th, Cody didn't show up for work. Cody was never late for work, always getting there by 6 a.m. His friend, Fredrickson, who was also his supervisor, immediately was worried. He started texting and calling Cody over and over, By lunchtime, there was still no answer, so he began calling friends and family. No one had heard from Cody or Jordan. At 4.30 p.m., Jordan texted Fredrickson and asked him if Cody had made it to work that day. Oh, boy. He told her no. Jordan then told him that after they had gotten home from the Dairy Queen, Jordan realized that she had left her phone charger at a babysitting job she had had. She left to go pick that up. On her way home, she saw Cody in the passenger seat of a dark green sedan with Washington plates backing out of their driveway. She assumed he had left with some of his car buddies and that she had assumed that they were going for a drive. Hmm. By the next day, July 9th, Fredrickson was in a panic. 
He drove over to Cody and Jordan's house. No one was there, but the back door happened to be unlocked. Fredrickson went inside, but did not find anything suspicious except for Cody's cell phone. After leaving their house, Fredrickson contacted the police department, Montana Highway Patrol, and every hospital from Kalispell to Spokane. There was no one matching Cody's description. Meanwhile, Jordan and a friend were driving around looking for Cody. Her friend said she was giggling and texting and didn't seem that interested in finding Cody. Psycho. The police were immediately concerned and brought Jordan in for questioning that night. She told them that when his friends came into town, Cody liked to take them up to Glacier National Park and that she saw him leave when she returned home from getting her charger. With no evidence to keep her, they let her go. Oh, boy. Early in the morning on July 10th, Jordan received an email from carmantony607 at gmail.com. That's not good. I'm going to read you the email. Oh, good. My name is Tony. There is no bother looking for Cody anymore. He is gone. I saw your post on Twitter and thought I would email you. He had come with some buddies and met up with me on Sunday night in Columbia Falls. He was saying he needed to be with his buddies for a bit and take them for a joy ride. Three of the guys came back saying that they had gone for a ride in the woods somewhere and Cody got out of the car and went for a little hike and they are positive he fell and he is dead, Jordan. I don't know who the guys were, but they took off. So call off the missing persons report. Cody is gone for sure. Sincerely, Tony. That's a bizarre email. Yeah. So it's weird. Tony. It's really weird that the morning after she is questioned by police, she somehow gets this email from Carmen Tony telling her that her new husband fell and is dead. Yeah. Not buying it. Yeah, I don't think anybody bought it. Probably her parents, but that's about it. Jordan showed the email to a friend and her mother. They were immediately concerned and took Jordan to the police station. A detective took a look at the email and told Jordan and her mom that it looked sketchy. Detectives asked Jordan if she or Cody knew a Tony. She said no. Jordan then told the detective that she had received a text from Cody after she had left to retrieve her cell phone charger, letting her know that he was going on a drive with some out-of-town friends, which is not what she had told Fredrickson. The detective then asked Jordan how she could be so calm. She answered that she didn't like to show emotion in front of other people. They then asked to see the text messages between her and Cody, but she said that they would delete all their text conversations at the end of the day out of habit. That's a likely story. (laughs) Detectives doing their detective things found out pretty quickly that the email account, carmantoni607, had been created early that morning from an IP address linked to Jordan's parents' computer in their home. (laughs) Idiot. Around noon, a piece of paper was slid in front of Jordan, explaining her Miranda rights. Oh, my god! She was not under arrest, but they needed her to know that she had the right to remain silent 
and anything she said could be used against her in a court of law. Jordan signed it. Wow. She's not very smart, is she? She's only 21. Yeah. And had not many life experiences. All right. So guys, do not marry a chick that doesn't want to have sex with you. And definitely don't marry a chick that's 21 that can't create a good anonymous email. <laughs> like Carman Tony. That should have been your email. Carman Tony. Carman Dan 607. Dan the Carman. Dan the Carman. Yep. I think we need to change our the, everything. Do us part We're going to start all over. <laughs> Forget it. We're going to do a car show uh, podcast. I would in fall asleep within you, five minutes. You sit here and I tell you stories about cars. Um, I don't know. How's that sound? I don't know. And then I can say, hey, I got exciting news. There's a new car part that if you put it on this engine, it does this. Uh, you, already sleep. See? You already lost me. All right. Eyes glazed over. All right. Just thought. After leaving the police station that afternoon, Jordan drove up to Glacier Park with family and friends to look around. Jordan told them to drive along Lake McDonald, 23 miles north to a location called The Loop, on the Going to the Sun Road. They stopped at the parking lot and got out. Jordan paced around the lot for a while and then hopped over a rock wall barricade and started walking down a non-existent trail to the edge of a ravine. Her brother Michael insisted that she stop. It was getting too dark and unsafe. They got back in their cars and headed home. I wish I could explain what this looked like better, but having not been there and having only seen it in pictures, it's really hard to explain, but it's like this little rock barricade wall that surrounds this road that has a little bit of a lip on it. Right. And you're not supposed to go over the barricade, but people do. Especially not if you're in a car. Yes. Yes. But right. the barricade's probably two feet up in height. So it's not much to keep people from going over or even maybe a car going over. Well, I guess so. Yeah. But I think this is a place that we need to visit next summer. Just so we can, and then get, we can a, get a good idea what it looked like. Yeah, and then we could write it off. Sure. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, usually barricades, especially rock barricades, generally mean they don't want you to go over it. Right. It's there for a reason. Right. Those listening, if you see a rock barricade, that probably means don't go over Try it. Try not to drive your car through it. Or drive your car through it. The next day, July 11th, the group headed back up to Glacier Park hanging missing person posters along the way. They made their way back up to the Loop parking lot. Jordan immediately went to the rock wall and hopped over the same spot she had the night before. Her brother asked her why that spot, and she said she just had a feeling. <laughs> she went down the so-called trail along the ridge and got close to the edge. She stopped at a tree stump and began looking down in the ravine, taking a few minutes to look in multiple directions and angles. Jordan stopped and said she spotted something. Michael joined her and soon saw a body lying 200 feet down in the ravine. Michael collapsed and began sobbing. Jordan calmly walked back to the car, 
Jordan's friend drove her down to the lodge to get help. She rambled the entire time. And Jordan shockingly said, Now that we found him, we can call the detective and he can get out of my business. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I know. I know. What a crazy psycho (laughs) chick. (laughs) Around the same time the body had been seen, a detective that had interviewed Jordan the day before was out walking his dog. He just happened to live in the same neighborhood. As he walked by their house, he noticed an odd bag sticking out of their trash can. Sticking out of Cody and Jordan's trash can. Uh-oh. Inside the bag were love letters, teddy bears, valentines, and part of a wedding dress. The detective dragged the bag back to his house and spread out all the contents, taking photos of everything. He then put it all back in the bag and placed it on Jordan. He placed it on Jordan's front door. Wow. <laughs> Which is totally something I would do. He received a call a few minutes later that Cody's body had been found. I totally would have done that. I would have totally dug through the trash and then put everything back in the bag and then stuck it on her front door. Nice. <laughs> or put it on the front door stoop and been like, So Here they you still go. haven't arrested her though? No, because there's no evidence. Oh, all right. Yeah. The medical examiner said Cody landed face first in six inches of water. Ouch. His right eye socket was crushed, and there was a seven-inch skull fracture. His legs were badly bruised and had multiple broken ribs. Cody's heart was torn open. His cause of death was blunt force trauma caused from a fall. His injuries were similar to those of someone who had been in a horrific car crash. What was strange is what wasn't found on the body. His wedding ring. What? It's just awful. This so, this poor guy just That is really wanting to avoid sex. Uh it's not a reason to die, people. It's not a reason to kill anybody. Remember this I don't this think so. really makes me mad. This story really makes me mad. The funeral was held a few days later. During the service, friends and family were disturbed by Jordan's demeanor, noting that she was on her phone the entire time. Texting and checking social media. None of them knew that Jordan had become the prime suspect at that time. Oh, good. Sitting there texting and checking social media. Like, I I seriously want to punch her in the face. Is she really dumber in a pile of rocks? I mean, that... I don't know. I don't know what she thought was going to happen. Or she just wasn't thinking. Man, stupid. I know. This, this case is going to make you really pissed. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm pissed already. I know. I've been pissed for four days <laughs> doing all the research oh because of this <laughs> yeah uh, not okay gotcha. no not at you honey. Oh, okay. i've been trying to hide it yeah all right fair enough because of the suspicious circumstances and because the death occurred in a national park the fbi opened a full investigation they reviewed the security cameras from the park's west entrance the footage revealed that on july 7th at 9:18, cody and jordan entered the park so that whole story about him being picked up by friends in a green sedan was bull SHIT. Of course it was. I mean, come on. We all knew it was, right? All you 11 listeners. Well, we wouldn't be doing this if it was, yeah, if it was like the other way. Right. On July 17th, Jordan was brought in for another interview. Thinking she was meeting with the local detectives, she was actually being interviewed by the FBI. 
Once again, she was asked about the last time she saw her husband. Jordan told them about the dark green car with the Washington state plates and the car buddies who took Cody on a drive. Instead of letting her finish, they told Jordan they knew she was lying and presented the security camera photo of her and Cody entering Glacier Park. Jordan began crying. Boom. Boom, you're caught. Psycho. (laughs) In October of 2013, Jordan pled not guilty to first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and making false statements to authorities. Of course. Yeah, of course. They're always going to plead not guilty, right? I don't know. I mean, seems kind of overwhelming. I think she'd want to plead it out. A first-degree murder charge indicates that prosecutors believe Graham premeditated the murder and it carries the mandatory sentence of life in prison. A second-degree murder is any form of murder without malice aforethought, commonly referred to as premeditation. These are usually crimes of passion or impulse or crimes committed after sufficient provocation, carries a maximum sentence of life imprisonment. So... First-degree murder, you get a mandatory sentence of life in prison. Second-degree murder, you get a maximum sentence of life imprisonment, which means they can give you anything below that. Gotcha. Jordan's trial began in federal court in Missoula, Montana, on December 9th, 2013, almost six months after she and Cody had exchanged wedding vows. For four days, friends, family, and law enforcement testified as to what they heard and witnessed before and after Cody's death, reading aloud the many text messages between Jordan and her friends. On the fourth day of the trial, Jordan stunned the courtroom when she decided to change her plea to guilty of second-degree murder before closing arguments were about to begin. Right before Jordan was to be led out of the courtroom in handcuffs, U.S. District Judge Donald Malloy said, You have told different stories to different people. I need you to tell me what happened on the night of July 7th. And she freaking did. What? She did. She stopped in her tracks and told everybody in that courtroom what happened. Oh, boy. You ready? Yep. This is what Jordan said happened. After eating dinner at Dairy Queen, Cody and Jordan drove home. Jordan told Cody how she was feeling, and they got into a heated argument. As a way to ease the tension, they decided to drive up the Going to the Sun Road in Glacier National Park. The sun was already set when they got up to the loop, but you could still make out the outline of the mountains. Cody gave Jordan the keys to the car, as he always did, and they left their cell phones in the car since reception was really spotty in that area. It was getting darker as they hopped over the rock retaining wall and walked down the trail, going off the path to get closer to the edge. They began arguing again and stopped at a tree stump. Cody grabbed Jordan's arm aggressively, and she told him no, not to grab her, and brushed his hand away. Not thinking he could fall, she then put both hands on his chest and pushed him away. He lost his footing and fell 200 feet down to the bottom, hitting the rock outcropping on the way down. Losing his shoe in the process, she ran back to the car and drove home. Sure. Texting people on her way home, by the way. 
Not about that. Not about that. No. No. She even texted a young girl that they were going to do this Hawaiian dance at church type thing. And they were talking about, ooh, you got, you have good moves. Oh, no. I have good moves. Like going back and forth about how great their dance moves were. So this church girl pushes her husband over the cliff and then talks about going back to church. Yeah. To do a hula dance or something like that nice. right, with yeah. another girl. Seems reasonable. There's another theory, though. Oh, okay. I like this theory. All right. Different ending. Different ending. All right. A black piece of fabric was found near Cody's body. It was tied in a knot at the end. It looked like it could have been some sort of blindfold. Some people in the police department think that Jordan was able to get Cody up there with a promise of a kinky sexual act getting him onto the trail and blindfolding him. Once near the edge, she just pushed him over. The material has hair in the knot, which the DNA matched to that of Cody's. But the material was found downstream from the body and was mishandled by investigators. The material was wet and was put in a plastic bag. When investigators realized their mistake, they then removed it from the plastic bag and transferred the material to a paper bag. Therefore, the DNA evidence was rendered inadmissible in court. If it would have been admissible, it might have proven that it was premeditated. That absolutely is what she did. Because that's how she I got him so up there. I think so, too. I think so, too. Because she knew at this point he's, like, kind of desperate, so to speak. When I read that and I started putting the pieces together, I was like, this makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. And she knew what she was going to do when they drove up to Glacier National Park. She knew. So what do you think she thought would happen? They'd just go, oh, he fell, and then then she wouldn't have to do the deed with him. And then it would just go away. Right. And then she wouldn't have to get divorced. She would be a widow. And then she could just move on with her life and probably never get married. Why not just not get married then? I don't know. That's what's so bizarre. I don't know. But isn't that infuriate? That infuriates me. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. I'm, it really pisses me off. <laughs> and I know we're all human and we all deserve some grace. And these investigators work so hard. And one little mistake, one little human mistake can change the course of a trial. They're under a lot of pressure. Oh, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Jordan Graham was sentenced on March 27th, 2014 to 30 years in prison. She will be 52 when she is released. Wow. Do you think she'll get married? I I don't know. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. So that's the end of my case. So at what point... Did she go, okay, I'm going to go ahead and just go through with this, but within how, it was what, a week or two, a couple of weeks after they've been married? Eight days. Okay. So not even two weeks. No. And she goes, I think I'm going to kill him. I don't know. Forget an annulment. He could have asked for an annulment. Remember what I was telling you? Right. Legally, he yeah. could have said she refused to have sex with me, so I don't want to get married. I don't want to be married right. anymore. Well, and the thing about them always erasing their texts to each other. Was very That's fishy. bizarre. Yeah. Very fishy. Because I hold on to our texts just so that I can revert back to things. Sure. That you've said or dates or 
No, that's a very like female that. thing to do. No, I mean, not to like use hold it against it. you, oh, but like, sorry. you know, hold on to dates and what you're going to do next Saturday and I don't know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's like a calendar. Yeah. It's like a calendar. Thank you. Yep. I'm here all day. Um, <laughs> I absolutely I think know. she said something like, hey, I think I'm ready to do it. Let's do something goofy and we'll go up there and I'll blindfold you and then. Yeah. Because remember, then, uh, she had said that she had a surprise for him. Right. And he even gave up, gave up going golfing with his buddies because of this surprise. See? Surprise, I'm going to push you off a freaking cliff. Oh. I know. All right. Well, I got one little fact for you. Ready? Oh, good. This is your factoid. Yes. Since the park was created in 1910, there have only been, I say only, <laughs> there have been 264 deaths. And only two of those have been murders. Oh. In 1983, a man by the name of Frederick Pong Grace picked up a hitchhiker named Scott David Steele. Steele later admitted to stabbing Frederick multiple times and pushing him off of a cliff. This murder happened only a mile up from where Jordan pushed Cody into the ravine. Wow. Fun fact. Huh. It's bad luck. <laughs> I guess so. So can we go? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go. Can we go next summer? Heck no. Especially not if you have a blindfold. That'd be weird. That would be really, yeah, not into that. What What if we did a, a uh, YouTube video of us regarding this case, and then there's a short video of me, you leading me <laughs> over that rock wall with me with a blindfold on? No, because something trust would happen, me. and then trust me, take another step. <laughs> would you trust me? No, hell no. Yeah, I wouldn't trust you. No, either. I wouldn't even get out of the damn car. Oh, stop! Just look at it from an. The driver's seat. From in the car. Yeah, because you'd have to drive because you'd be car sick. Well, yeah, it's twisty windy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is why we don't hike. This is why I don't like to go outside is because I don't trust people. That's not the reason. It's because it's exercise. <laughs> Are you saying I don't like to exercise? How dare you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hiking's fun. It's good. You just don't do it blindfolded with your crazy wife. Actually, hiking is fun. Yeah. It is. I pretend to hate it. Till you're walking down the trail and you find um, mountain lion poop in front of you. Oh, gosh. Or a dead body. Hmm. It's a bonus. That's a bonus. If you are really enjoying our podcast, or even if you just kind of like it, can you please go and rate and review us? Five stars, preferably. You can reach us on Instagram. And that's Till Death Do Us Part podcast. We have a website, tilldeathdoespart.com. And of course, YouTube, Till Death Do Us Part, a true crime podcast. Please email us at tilldeathdoespart at att.net. Um, and then we're going to be doing the quickie with our listeners, because who wouldn't want to have a quickie with your listeners? I know I do. So if you guys think of something that's fun that you've heard about or friends have told you about or family, definitely let us know and we can um, turn that into a quick story. Yeah, like cheating or trying to kill your spouse. You know, all the things that are funny. Or if you've thought about it and your spouse doesn't know, we can go ahead and air it for you. Yeah, we could tell your spouse that you were having fantasies about stabbing them. We'll change your name. Yeah, maybe. All right, well, be careful. For marriage is a life sentence.
an eight day life sentence for Cody. God, that sucks. I know. Poor uh, Cody. It's just a horrible that not, case. That is not nice. So I'm going to end this on a downer. There you go. Yeah. Why not? All right. All right. Bye. Till next time. Bye.